If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 24, the 24th chapter of the book of Joshua. That's where we're going to be. Uh, we started there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, this morning we're going to kind of pick up there and continue in a series that I'll get to in just a second. Before we do that, before we jump in, let me mention to you an opportunity. really hope you'll pray for, you know, for 10 years now, our church has been uh, engaged in the Philippines, uh, sending teams over typically twice a year. We've, we've just taken our uh, 20th trip over there uh, just this summer and uh, been able to see God doing a lot of amazing things there. Uh, having built relationships there, having spread the gospel in a lot of different areas, uh, there in, within that particular uh, province, uh, we've been able to see everything just expand, and it's not because of us. We're just sort of able to have a front row seat to see what the Lord is doing there. But it's really kind of been on my heart, I think, for some others as well, to be able to have another emphasis in another part of the world as well, because we have grown as a church, and we do have resources. And we have a lot of people that have a desire to to uh, engage in international missions, and, and a lot of people that can't do two weeks. You know, you can't leave here and go to another country for two weeks. You know, your boss would fire you or your, you know, your spouse would fire you or something. So you can't really do that. And so, uh, but you really want to go, you want to go somewhere. And so I encourage you to pray later this month, I have an opportunity to go to Cuba. And uh, the reason for that trip is to be able to uh, meet with some leaders that are there. It's just a wonderful opportunity that God has opened up. And um, I'll be able to uh, visit with uh, some pastors and uh, to be able to see some ministry sites there. And uh, I'm kind of working through the Florida Baptist Convention. They've been very gracious to allow me to be able to go and to be a part of that. And at the same time, I've been very gracious to allow our church very potentially to be a part of uh, ongoing missions work there in Cuba as well. And so later this month, I'll go. And they've already got us tentatively on the schedule for next April for us to take our very first mission trip as a church uh, into Cuba, where I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of things going on politically there, but even on a greater level, God is doing a lot of work there spiritually, a lot of doors that are being opened, a lot of people being reached for the gospel, a lot of churches that need ministry, house churches that are operating there in that country. And so uh, it's really neat. I mean, I just I wanted to be able to go to a place that was um, that was needed, you know, where, where, the, where our presence was needed. And uh, nothing against a lot of other countries that are saturated with the gospel there. There are a lot of people that still need to hear. But, uh, you know, Cuba is a country that very obviously is not a Christian country. It's like having World Day 90 miles off our coast. And so what an amazing opportunity uh, that we could have as a church to make a difference there uh, as early as next spring. And I really hope you'll pray over these next few days just for clarity, that God would make it clear kind of where he's leading and that we'll validate it as a church family. It's not one person's decision, but we as a church would be able to see where God's leading and uh, jump in and be a part of that as well. So appreciate your prayers. Well, I don't usually start off messages with an announcement, but that was the announcement. So let's get on with the message. A couple of weeks ago, we started a brand new series entitled Choose. And the whole context of the series is the simple fact that we make choices every single day. And uh, with every one of those choices, there are implications. So every choice we make, there's going to be either fallout in a good way or fallout in a, in a bad way as a result of our choices. And so a couple of weeks ago, we jumped into this series and uh, you may remember if you were here that I uh, put about 10 different boxes of Cheez-Its up here and uh, just reminds us that choices do not always come easily. You know, there are options. All you got to do is go to the grocery store. You're reminded of options. It's not just about going to buy cereal, right? You've got to choose from like 131 different kinds of cereal. And so choices abound. I mean, we're surrounded by choices. And, and yet the difficulty is that a lot of those choices have spiritual 
consequences. They have spiritual implications to our lives. And so we began to look two weeks ago at how we can make wise choices against temptation in the face of temptation. And one of the things that we talked about specifically in that message was that behind every single sin is the sin of idolatry. That whenever we face temptation and we choose to give in and, and, and we do what we know is not proper, we know what is not right, we know, we do what, we know God would not have us to do, behind that sin is always the sin of idolatry. Because what we've done is that we have chosen to put something else, you know, a, a, you know, a sinful choice. We put that, that one thing above God in our lives. And that, that at a very base level is what idolatry is. It's put, putting something or someone above God. And so we talked about how behind every sin is the sin of idolatry. There, there, there are no like little sins and then bigger sins and then great big sins. There's not like a, an A list and a B list and a C list. All of them, whenever we sin, involve the sin of idolatry, putting something else before God. And at the same time, not only are we committing idolatry, even though we don't have little idols you know, on, our, on our mantle at home, we still do, you know, we still commit idolatry every time we sin. At the same time, we're also failing to trust God. You know, if we tell a lie, you know, we're tempted to tell a lie to kind of save face or to get ourselves out of trouble at work or, or at home or whatever, and or, or we tell a lie, you know, what we're saying is, God, I can't trust that you're going to bail me out and rescue me on your terms, and so I'm going to try to just do this my way. I'm going to tell a lie to try to bail myself out because I can't trust you. And behind every sin is also a failure for us to trust God. And so we unpacked a lot of that last, uh, la- well, two weeks ago. We talked about the importance of asking ourselves questions, that whenever temptation comes, just simply asking ourselves real quickly, if we could take a step back before we choose, in the midst of temptation, just saying, how is this temptation luring me to not trust God? And then second, how is this temptation luring me to replace God with something else? And then third, how in the midst of this temptation can I honor God by doing the right thing? Because wrapped up in every temptation is a very, great, a very good opportunity for us to honor God. Remember when, when uh, well, you may not remember this because you were just maybe young, but uh, when you were a child, your parents would have come to the place to where they would have allowed you to test the waters on your own. It may have been grade school, may have been middle school, may have been high school, but there would be a point where they would kind of push you out of the nest a little bit, uh, and they would allow you to make choices on your own. And maybe, uh, maybe there's a point that they specifically remember where you, know, you were uh, out kind of on your own, you had to make a choice, and they were just sort of sitting back watching to see if you were going to make the right choice or not. And as you face that temptation, as you face the, the, the big decision, your parents are kind of watching from the wings, right? And you decided to do the right thing. You decided to honor them. And when you did, man, your parents, they just got a big old grin on their face. You had a really good Christmas that year, right? Because they were honored by your choice to do what was right. And in the same way, whenever we face temptation, wrapped up in that temptation, is always the, the opportunity for us to honor God and to do what is right. And so we don't want to just you know, get all uh, uh, discouraged and hey, just keep facing temptation. Man, that, that is a great opportunity to do what's right and to honor God. So a couple of weeks ago, we unpacked all that. This morning, I want us to kind of build on that a little bit as we continue this series, Choose. And I want us to look at what it means to choose ultimately against compromise. What it means to choose against compromise. And so Joshua 24 is going to be kind of where we're going to jump in, just as we did uh, in the very first message in the series. Joshua 24 is where we're going to jump in, and we're going to see how he faced a choice, how the people of Israel faced a choice, and that choice would have, in a lot of ways, uh, eternal, com- uh, eternal consequences or ramifications. And so choosing, ultimately, against compromise. Here's the background to Joshua 24. 
Joshua was the successor to Moses. All right, Moses, big, gigantic, huge Old Testament figure, you know, led the Israelites, uh, Ten Commandments, had a movie made about his life, right? You're familiar with Moses. Moses would come to the end of his, to his life, and he would, he would pass away. Before he did that, he would pass the baton to Joshua. Whenever Moses would die, the Israelites would already have wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. They're getting ready to cross the, the, uh, cross the, the river over into the Promised Land. Joshua would now be the leader that would lead them over to the promised land. He would be 90 years old whenever he would be given this task and this responsibility of leading the Israelites over to the promised land. So Joshua is 90 years old, and before that time comes, you know, he's going to obviously help to clue them in on what's taking place, to clue them in on what's going to happen. So he would lead them into the promised land. They would go in. They would begin to conquer the enemy nations. They would begin to settle in the promised land, and they would begin to live out their identity as God's people in a pagan land, a land where nobody honored God, a land where nobody wanted to know anything about God. So that's where the Israelites would be. Well, Joshua would come to the end of his days. He would be uh, 110 years old when that time would come. And just before Joshua would die, he would rally together all the Israelites and he would kind of give them this little halftime speech, right? Which was kind of the, I guess, the end of the game speech because he was about to die. And so he would rally them all together and he would tell them things they would need to remember. And so Joshua sits down to them and he, rec- he, he, he recognizes that these Israelites are going to face temptation everywhere they go. And they're going to be faced with the option, the choice of compromising, And so notice what he says to them here at the very end of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. If you've got your Bible, I hope you'll read along with me. If you don't, you can read it on the overhead and uh, just kind of get a little sense of what is at stake here for the people of Israel. It says in verse 14, now therefore, Joshua is speaking to the Israelites. He says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight, to serve the Lord. Choose, there's that word, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so what Joshua does here is he lays out what is, at stake, what is involved in every choice, and that is the options. He says, you can either choose to worship and to serve and to live for the false idols, the false gods that your forefathers followed that are surrounding you in this land of all these pagan enemies. You can either follow them and be just like the world, or option B, you can choose to serve the Lord, to honor him, to fear him, to reverence him with all of your life. He says, those are your two options. And what was on the table here that the Israelites would have to deal with was the decision not to compromise. They would have to choose against compromise in much the same way that you and I, right? That you and I have to choose not to compromise in our relationships with God as well. Think about the definition. Let me just give you the definition real quickly, then I'll demonstrate what happens when we compromise. Here's the definition. I love definitions, right? I was a journalism major. I guess it's an English thing or something. I don't know, but I love definitions. And so here's the definition for compromise. To accept standards that are lower than is desirable. That's what it means to compromise. To accept standards or a standard which is lower than desirable. And what is wrapped up in that that definition of the word compromise is knowledge of our choice as we're compromising. You see, compromise does not happen by accident. We don't accidentally compromise. 
It is understood in the definition of compromise that when I choose to compromise, I am acknowledging, I am as an act of my will, lowering the standard that I know is most desirable. I am choosing to lower and to lessen that standard. That is what compromise is. Let, let, me, let me just demonstrate this for a second. Alex, if you would, want you slip out. I already acknowledge this, so don't get nervous. I'm going like, to call you out of the crowd. Uh, so I already set this up. Uh, the little drummer boy, Alex. Let's give a hand for Alex. Um, nice, Alex. I say that because I don't want him mad at me, so uh, he's huge. Did you tackle any running backs this weekend? Nice, okay. So, all right. Alex, back up just a little bit. Alex is going to represent, that's good. Alex is going to represent uh, the standard of God. Now, for, for us, we would understand that as being communicated in God's Word, right? Uh, the whole debate about absolute truth, does it exist, does it not, that is a whole other conversation. Uh, we won't even get into that today for the sake of time. Uh, let's just say absolute truth does exist, and it's demonstrated uh, in God's words, communicated in God's word, and uh, it's put in place by God who has all authority to do that. So, so Alex is going to represent God's standard, okay, as it relates to whatever you want it to, marriage, relationships, finances, whatever. Alex represents the standard of God. Now, here's the thing. Whenever, when, whenever we seek to live out our lives as people, specifically as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have a choice of whether or not to walk and to live by God's standard or not, right? That, that's our choice. There are times in our lives for every one of us where we choose to resist God's standard and we push against God's standard. God's standard stays the same, but we begin to resist it. We begin to stretch it. We begin to push against it. We call that temptation. Whenever we begin to consider the fact that maybe I can just give in to this temptation and it'll be okay, we stretch it out a little bit further. And there are only, what happens is, there is a tension that comes with this in the life of a Christian. You begin to feel a little bit unsettled. You begin to feel uneasy. You begin to feel kind of guilty. You begin to feel like something's not quite right for you. And as you continue to stretch against God's standard, you, you continue to feel that sense of heaviness in your life, that something's not quite right. And there's a point where you can't live like that forever, right? We can't, we can't continue in that state as a believer. And so only two things are possible in lessening this tension. We can either choose to take one big step towards God and do what is right, and as we line up with his standard, that tension drops. And what often find, we find is there is a joy that comes there. There is a sense of peace. There is a sense of relief. Even though there is a cost to our obedience, at least that tension is gone and we feel close to God again. That's a really good feeling. But there is another option that when we face that tension of coming up against the standard of God in any area of our lives and we finally get tired of it, the other option is that we lower the standard. And as we lower the standard, the tension falls. Here's the sad thing. Thank you, Alex. Here's the sad thing. Is that whenever we as followers of Christ with genuine relationships with God face temptation in this world, and whenever we face the option of compromise, what often happens is, is that we begin to feel that tension on the inside, which is a good thing because it's God resisting us. It is God dealing with our hearts not to go a way that he knows will cost us. But the sad thing is, is that for many of us, what happens is when we begin to feel that resistance, knowing we can't operate that way for very long, what we do is we rationalize our sin and we lower the bar. And as an act of our will, we choose to compromise. You see, when you look in this passage of Scripture in the book of Joshua, what you find is, is they face the same exact circumstance in fact, look, look at uh, a little bit further. Look at in that same chapter, verse 23. 
in chapter 24, Joshua says, Now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst. See, there is only one true living God. And these nations served all kinds of false gods and false idols. Joshua says, you can't do both. Man, you cannot walk with God and serve false gods at the same time. He says, so here's what I'm telling you to do. Uh, Me and my family, we're serving the Lord for you. Here's my recommendation, Joshua says. You need to, one, put away the foreign gods that are in your midst, and then incline your hearts to God, to the Lord, the God of Israel. And Joshua is saying, you cannot do both at the same time. There are things that cannot be done together in unison. They're they're impossible. You cannot maintain a diet and hang out at Krispy Kreme every single day, right? It doesn't work that way. Trust me, I've tried it, and it does not work. It's it's, it's, It's not good. It's not a good finish, all right? There are things you you cannot allow to coexist and expect to have a close walk with God. It is impossible, Guys, you cannot go to websites that you know are inappropriate, uh, websites that you know cross the line, looking at images of, 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 of other women that God has created in ways that you know God would never desire and expect at the same time to have a heart that is pure and moldable and usable before God. Cannot have both. We cannot have a heart that is unforgiving towards one person, in our workplace or in our family, and then expect that all of our other relationships are going to just be fine. It doesn't work that way. Have you ever come home from work and someone in your family ended up, because they were angry or bitter, unforgiving towards someone else, that that, that when you came in the door, they kind of took it out on you? You ever had that happen? Don't, Don't raise your hand. It's going to get ugly for you. You ever had that happen? Maybe for you, that's kind of where you are now. There's just one person you cannot forgive right? One person that you cannot let go of what they did to you, and your children are paying, and your spouse is paying, and your friends are paying, because you can't have both. We can't be angry and bitter and unforgiving towards one and expect that all of our other relationships are going to be in unity. It doesn't work that way. And Joshua is saying, you cannot have a close walk with God while at the same time living a life of compromise where you are lowering the standard. Why? Because it is the nature of sin to destroy. Let me give you the simple principle as we, as we begin to build everything around this principle. principle is this, that sin always starts with compromise. Always. I mean, that's true in my life. That is true in your life. That is true in every person's life. That whenever you look at a sin that you've committed, you can even think of one if you want, one that you wish you could go back and do over, that if, if you could just hit the reset button, you know, like call time out, go back, kind of redo that thing from that weekend or that one night or, or that business trip or that whatever it may be. If you could just redo all that, if you could just sort of hit the reset button and go back and do that. What you'll find is, is that that one sin that you regret, that, that every one of us has, that one sin that you wish you could do over, it started with a compromise, didn't it? It started where you knew what was right, you knew what you needed to do. And yet you lowered the bar, you rationalized it, well, everybody else does it, and then you picked out this, maybe this one Christian that you knew that was doing the same thing, well, they do it, and, and you found all these reasons to justify it, and at the end of the day, what happened was, you suffered, and you paid the price, because sin always destroys, and it started with a compromise. That's where it started. When you, as an act of your will, and I've done the same thing myself, lowered the bar, rather than stepping to God to release the tension, you ultimately lowered the standard. And in some ways today, you still, you still carry, you still carry the pain. Let's be reminded of some, some qualities of sin, some characteristics of sin. Sin is always rebellion against God. 
It's always rebellion. Open-handed, pow, rebellion against God. Sin is always us imposing our will above God's will. Sin is always imposing our authority over God's authority. God, who do you think you are speaking into this area of my life? Don't you know this is my business? This is my business. Don't you know this is my, you know, these are my finances? Don't you know that, God? Who are you to tell me how to handle my finances? I will call you when I'm in crisis, but for now, this is my choice. It's exerting our authority over God's. Sin is always ultimately replacing God for a greater affection. Thank you, God. I love you and everything, but you know what? Right now, I'm just going to pick this up. I know you don't want me to, but I'm going to pick this up, right? And this right now is my greater affection, this sin. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to enjoy it. And then I'll put it down one day, and I'll come back to you. Sin is not just rebellion against God or imposing our will or authority above His. Or Sin, really, at its core, is it's finding our identity in something other than God. <laughs> look at this quote from a guy named Tim Keller, a pastor, New York City author. Uh, look, look at what he says. He says, sin is not simply doing bad things. It's putting good things in the place of God. You see, sometimes our sin involves just replacing God with something that's a blessing. He says, so the solution, this is what I want us to see. So the solution is not just simply to change our behavior, but to reorient and to center the entire heart and life on God. Here's the thing. There are many people, and there have been times for myself included, where we've looked at the Christian life and said, you know what, that's just a bunch of rules. You know what, and I, I want to be free. You know, I'm supposed to be, have freedom in my life. And yes, I, you know, I want to have something to do with God, but you know what, I don't need all these rules. I want to be free. And what we forget is that that is uh, somewhat akin to, to looking at a goldfish in a goldfish bowl and saying, you know what, I want this little fish to be free. I'm going to get him out of this little bowl you know what? I'm going to take him out. I'm going to set him on my beautiful green lawn. <laughs> you know, what's going to happen to that little fish? Freedom ain't going to be good for him, okay? He wasn't designed. There are always boundaries to freedom. That freedom is, 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 is boundaried for the purpose of our lives. And what we often do is we say, you know what? I don't want any part of God's boundaries. I don't want any part of, 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 of his guardrails in my life. You know, I want to be free. And what we fail to realize is that whenever we look at sin as just making wrong choices, we miss it. But when we understand God wants us to make right choices, why? Because he wants to be the center of our lives. He doesn't want us to miss him for something less. It's not about just cleaning up our lives, you know, to where we say, I'll just clean my language up and then I'll get closer to God. I'll clean up my behavior, then I'll get closer to God. Yes, that's a part of it. But the bigger part of it is that sin, the, the remedy for sin is to reorient our lives to where God is the center. Christ is the center of our lives. Does that, you understand? That, that is, a, that is a, a very important thing for us to understand. And when we compromise, what happens is, we're lowering God's standard, and we're moving him out to the margins of life. And when God is only on the margins of our lives, I'm just telling you, man, things tend to get off the rails very, very quickly. Ask a man named Lot in the Old Testament. Lot ran parallel with Abraham early on. Genesis 13, we find that Lot comes into the story and uh, there's a big choice to be made. There's a couple of cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, you've heard of, right? Cities not known for walking with God. God would ultimately judge those cities for their sin. Lot, early on, Genesis 13, has a decision to make. He gets first choice, where do you want to live? And the Bible tells us, we won't walk through these passages, you can do this on your own. Genesis 13, the Bible says that Lot pitched his tents towards Sodom, okay? He, he's, he knows he doesn't have any business, 
being involved in what's going on in that city. Oh, I'm not going into the city. <laughs> I'm not doing all that stuff. Uh, but, but I am going to pitch my tents towards Sodom. Genesis 14, one chapter later, we find that Lot is now living in the city of Sodom. Five chapters later, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 19, we find that God comes to visit, sends a couple of visitors to Sodom. And uh, there they find Lot, the Bible says, sitting in the gate of the city. That's a Hebrew phrase to mean that Lot was now more than likely a leader within the city. He's sitting in the gate. He, he, he is one with a leadership position in the city of Sodom. By the time the story comes towards an end, later in chapter 19, we find that God chooses to bring judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah destroys them as an act of his own judgment, which you can do when you're God and you've, you're judging sin. God chooses to do that. And as a result of that, the Bible tells us in chapter 19 that Lot, as he's being urged to leave, actually hesitates to leave this city. Hesitates. And what all started, this tragedy in Lot's life and the way his life ends, I won't go into those details, uh, but it was not pretty at all. Is that it all started with Lot with a compromise when he pitched his tents in the direction of a place he had no business being unless he was there to evangelize them for the sake of their own souls. So where might you be pitching your tents towards today? In what area, maybe even of your life, are you taking a step towards compromise, pitching your tents in a direction that it doesn't need to be? Now, let me just be real honest for a moment in very real life. Maybe for you, it's pitching your tent towards that woman at the gym who's showing a lot more attention to you than your husband does at home who seems to only work all the time or your wife does at home. Maybe for you, it's pitching your tents towards that guy in the office who gives you a little more attention than your husband does. Maybe for you, it's pitching your, your tents towards that crowd that you know if you run with them, you'll be popular. But it's going to cost you. Maybe for you, it's pitching your tents towards a lack of integrity. That when you choose gain or God, you're going to choose gain over God. And you know it's going to cost you one day. But today, it's your choice. Maybe for you, it's that choice to hang on to that unforgiveness like we spoke of earlier. You pitch your tents towards bitterness and anger and vengeance because, honestly, it feels good to make that person pay who hurt you. And you're not going to go out and you're not going to actively do something to them, but you're going to hold a grudge against them maybe until the day they die. You're just going to pitch your tents in that direction and see what happens. Let me just say, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It doesn't work. So which direction are you pitching your tents towards? In the area of compromise. Where rather than take a big step towards God to release that tension, you've chosen to lower the standard. Maybe for you it's lowering the standard in regards to some of the debates that rage in our own country. Debates that were spiritual long before they were political. Debates like abortion, for example. Maybe you've lowered the bar and you've pitched your tents kind of in that direction of compromise where it seems as though, you know what, I don't know that I need to really necessarily choose life. I think it's okay for a woman to choose her own 
make our own choices regarding that. And rather than choosing God's standard, that even, even though he's made it very clear in passages like Psalm 139, where he shows very clearly that life begins in the womb, you've chosen maybe to pitch your tents towards compromise in that area. Maybe there are political gains to that, to hold that. Maybe for you, it's just, you know, it's just, uh, it's a personal rights kind of a thing. Let me say, I understand that if statistics are correct, there are probably women that are here hearing this message that have taken that, that decision to have an abortion and more than likely men that as well have either coerced or supported that or encouraged that strongly. And let me say up front that God is a God who forgives and restores and who cleanses. God is a God who sets free. But listen, and I, and, I, and I hope if you haven't found that freedom and that forgiveness that you do through a relationship with Christ, and when he wipes that sin clean, he does. He wipes it completely as far as the east is from the west. But how much better, rather than to lower the standard, is just walk in God's truth. And that battle rages all over our country today where Christians, believers, followers of Jesus Christ are lowering the standard as it relates to marriage, as it relates to, to race issues, as it relates to, to a, a host of issues that we face. And if we choose to step away from God, that tension's only going to get worse, and the only way to settle it is to lower the standard. And when we lower that standard, that compromises the first step into sin. And when we choose to step into sin, it always devastates. And we can't have both. Psalm chapter 15 paints a, paints a good picture, I believe, of the beauty of what it means to, to walk with God, the beauty that comes on the inside. Look at what the psalmist writes here. These five verses comprise the whole entire psalm. This is the whole chapter here. He says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? In other words, God, who can have close fellowship with you? Who can know you relationally? Verse 2, he says, He who walks with integrity works righteousness speaks truth in his heart. He doesn't slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and doesn't change. He doesn't put out his money at interest. In other words, he doesn't gouge others for his own gain, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. And when the question is asked, God, and the understanding is relationship through Christ. This is not a works type of salvation this is talking about. But in other words, God, who in relationship with you can have a close walk? Who can have fellowship with you? Who can have peace? Who can have joy? How does that come? And and what the psalmist says is that comes when you do not compromise, but when you walk in light of God's standard and do not change it. Jesus would pray in the book of John, chapter 17. Before he would ascend back to the Father, he would pray for his followers. And it's interesting what Jesus would pray. If you you look on the overhead, chapter 17, the book of John, look at this passage real quickly as we begin to close. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. Jesus says about his followers, you are not of this world. You are filled with my spirit. Having come into a relationship with me, you are different now. You are not of this world. He says to the Father, even as I'm not of this world, I do not ask you, he prays to the Father, to take them out of the world. He says, God, uh, Father, I'm not asking you to take them on to heaven. He says, but to keep them from the evil one. Then he goes on and he prays. Next next slide. He says, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Jesus speaks of every believer. He says, you are not of this world, but I have left you in this world for the purpose of sending you to this world. And when I send you to the world, the way you're going to reach that world is by being salt and light, not by lowering the standard of God. 
And so in what area of your life, Christian, may you be tempted even today to lower the standard? Would it be in regards to your marriage? Would it be in regards to, for you as a single, how you live out your single life? Would it be in regards to your finances? Were you being tempted to lower the standard? Were you being tempted to step away from God? Would it be in the area of your leisure time, what you do when no one's looking? Would it be in regards to another area of relationship in your life? But where have you come up against a decision where you have to choose? Where much is at stake? Where are you having to choose regarding compromise? And how can you honor God in light of that choice? By choosing to obey, by choosing to follow, and by choosing to lift him up as you walk with him. Let's pray. God, all over this room this morning, there are choices to be made. We live in a fallen world. And God, to be honest, we add to that fallenness because we all fall short. We all sin. Even as believers, as people who have turned from our sin and placed our faith in Jesus, we still face temptation every single day. And truth be told, there are far too many times that we have responded to that temptation by lowering the standard rather than walking in obedience. God, who knows today what sin can be avoided, what, what absolute mess can be avoided because someone here chooses to step towards you and to not lower the standard as it relates to their marriage, as it relates to their relationships, as it relates to their finances, as it relates to integrity. Lord, who knows what marriage may be preserved today because someone chooses to step away from compromise. But if they don't change, Lord, they may make the one step that will change everything for them for the worse. Lord, there's a lot at stake today. And so, God, I pray that we would be people who don't try to change your truth, but rather we seek to walk in it. That we do that with humility, not thinking we've got it all figured out or we better, are better than anyone else. But God, may we just seek to live life simply to put you on display. And God, may you be our passion. May it not even be about just trying to put away bad things. God, may it be even more about wanting you to be the center of who we are and tenaciously guarding against anything that would threaten our closeness to you. And so God, help us to choose, even this day, against compromise. And God, for those who don't know you this morning, maybe the whole reason they're here this morning, maybe the reason a friend brought them or they got up and had a crazy thought, you know what, I think I'll go to church today. It's because you drew them here. And you drew them here to meet the one Savior that they desperately need, who when he faced a choice, he made a choice for us. And he gave his own life. And when Jesus died, he died as the perfect sacrifice so that all of us who need that Savior can choose to lay down our sin and fall upon him to say, Lord Jesus, would you even save and forgive me? And we know he'll do it. And so God, whatever decisions we need to choose today, help us to get them right. And God, from this day on, may we be the the shining example of what it means not to be perfect, but of what it means to be surrendered to you with no compromise as we walk with you in this world. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.